Hey, this is Graham, and I am so pumped you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media, at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can engage and connect with other Grace members all around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. This morning with us, uh, Pastor Wayne and Tracy, I think many of you know that uh, Braden was married on Friday, and then we had a men's conference the week before, so they're taking some very much needed time off this morning. However, he was bummed, and I mean this literally, that he could not be here to hear our special guest. Dr. Carolyn Knight of Light in the Darkness Ministries is here this morning as we continue our series of I'm Offended. Can you give her a great big grace, warm welcome this morning as she comes? for now over 35 years. It's hard to believe it. And for... <laughs> you know, it's just great. This place we call the meeting place of church, we call it a sanctuary. And that's so rightly named, isn't it? It's our sanctuary. The headlines are terrible. The storms of life may be raging, but we get to gather here together in the name of the Lord, in our sanctuary, and have our souls renewed. For the last 17 years of my missionary life, I've been leading Light and Darkness, and that is a ministry where I recruit and train Christian women to do evangelistic outreach in strip clubs. And I always say, <laughs> I'm always in recruitment mode. So ladies, I have a table in the foyer. I'll be there after the service. And I'd love to talk to you about sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in clubs. And then I also work at the Hope Center, which is America's largest facility for the healing and restoration of trafficked women. And I do several roles there. And one of my roles is building a huge prayer team because we encounter so much spiritual warfare in fighting the evils of trafficking. And we need prayer people, people who will say, I'll include the Hope Center in my prayers. And if you're willing to do that, come and see me at my table. And I need to get your name and email, and then I'll send you a prayer guide. And each month, a little paragraph with a couple of updated prayer requests and praises. Will you do that? Come and see me. Well, you know, I speak quite a bit at churches and ladies' groups, but 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm always speaking about trafficking. And it seems like lately, I've been asked to speak on things I've never spoken on before, and it makes me a little nervous. Not long ago, a few months ago, I got an email from a Dr. Jenkins uh, she said she was representing a black Lutheran pastor's conference in New York, and they were going to have a conference on Zoom, and would I be the speaker for their Sunday night service? So I just knew they wanted me to do something on trafficking, 
And she said, I will write you again in a few weeks with the details of the conference. Well, months went by, and I never heard again from Dr. Jenkins. Finally, a week before the Zoom meeting, she wrote and she said, we'd like for you to preach for 45 minutes on the changing face of the church in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> oh, my word. I literally felt sick to my stomach. I had never spoken on that. I didn't know much about that. I worked like a mad woman all week, reading, researching, trying to put together this great sermon. And I felt like the Lord did help me, and I got something ready. And then it came time for the Zoom meeting, and I got on. <clears throat> And Dr. Jenkins began to introduce me. She said, Dr. Carolyn Knight was born in Denver, Colorado. I was born in Missouri. <laughs> she said, Dr. Carolyn Knight went to such and such a Bible college and such and such a seminary. I never went to those schools. She started this organization. I never heard of this organization. And suddenly I'm realizing this is all a case of mistaken identity. She didn't know me. She didn't want me. And then my heart is beating like crazy because I'm getting ready to go on in just a few seconds. And I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And I thought, well, I don't want to embarrass Dr. Jenkins in front of these pastors. There was about 100 black pastors on the call. And I said, well... I'm just going to go ahead and do my sermon with everything I've got. And then I'll email her right after and tell her, I think you had the wrong person. And that's what I did. I was telling my family afterwards what happened. And my brother-in-law did a quick Google search. And he found another Dr. Carolyn Knight. Can I? <laughs> there she is. That's my Christian twin there. That's <laughs> Dr. Carolyn Knight, the black version. <laughs> but now I'm thinking, every time I get an invitation to speak, I'm thinking, do they really want me? Do they know I'm a white woman? <laughs> but I felt you can take her down. Thank you, guys. But I was feeling a little nervous, too, when I got Pastor Wayne's invitation a couple months ago. Um, he said in an email, I'd like for you to come and share with the church. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm sure he wants me to talk about trafficking. And then the second sentence was, I'd like for you to speak on the subject of forgiveness. And I wrote back and I said, I've never spoke on forgiveness before. And he said, well, I've heard your testimony and I know your ministry and you're always walking around with a smile on your face. So I think you know something about forgiveness. I think the Lord has taught you some things about forgiveness. And I said, well, okay. I'll do my best. And so I hope what I share with you today will be a blessing. I'll tell you a little about what happened to me. I married Philip, my Bible college sweetheart. And we plunged right into full-time ministry over the years, we had four kids. We ended up, I'd always had a missionary call. We did 10 years in East Africa as pioneer missionaries. I had the rare pleasure of getting to go into villages 
and share the gospel with people who had never heard it, to show them a Bible to people who'd never seen one. We really roughed it. We had adventures. Uh, I learned to field dress animals. Uh, I can make a mean warthog sausage. <clears throat> people in the South would say, what are y'all eating over there? And we'd say, oh, there's fast food all around us. Sometimes it's just too fast for us to shoot it. <laughs> but life was good. But then we came home when my mom got leukemia and her bone marrow transplant was failing and I needed to help take care of her until she went to heaven. And while we were home, my husband Philip was offered a large um, ministry position by a large organization in the South. And so that took us to Mississippi. I started teaching full-time at a Bible college and during those early years is also when the Lord called me to start Light and Darkness Ministry. So I was just in the beginning stages of starting teams. It seemed like the more success, though, that Philip had, the less he was interested in spiritual things. His position opened a lot of doors for him to meet with important kingdom people. We rode in John Hagee's private jet. Uh, we entertained Jerry Falwell. He met with Franklin Graham. We entertained senators. Sometimes we went to functions and balls at the governor's mansion. But it seemed like that became everything to him. Hobnobbing with rich and famous people. And his spiritual life was just going away. I didn't know how deep of a darkness he had gotten in, though, until I started feeling really tired, just tired all the time. I had no energy to do everything, anything. It got so bad, I finally went to the doctor, and they did some tests, and he said, Carolyn, I'm so sorry, but your blood is turning into the same type of leukemia that your mom had. And it's a tenacious, fast-acting type. And you need to get a bone marrow transplant just as fast as you can to have any chance at all to live. So I got into this big fight for my life. And then I had the transplant, but my body was fighting it. I got what was called graft-versus-host disease. And we didn't know whose bone marrow was going to win out, my diseased bone marrow or my donor's healthy bone marrow. So it was going on, the fight. In the midst of that, one day, Philip came in and just looked at me coldly and said, I don't love you anymore. I haven't loved you in a while. I've just been faking it with you and faking it in the ministry. But I'm sick of the whole business. I never want to darken the door of a church again, and I'm leaving you. I just literally fell against a wall. It was like a grenade going off in my chest. And I said, you can't mean this. You're talking like a crazy person. You can't be serious. But he was. His heart was far gone from me and the Lord. 
I found out he had been in a relationship with another woman for months. I found out he had been taking money from the ministry he was leading. Our denomination had collected $96,000 for my ongoing medical expenses, and all of that was gone. I found out I had been turned over to collection at the hospital and to doctors. I found out he had another bank account and other credit cards. He was funneling money. I found out we were in uh, collection on several things. He hadn't been paying bills. He had been putting all this money in another bank account getting ready to leave. And then when he left, he took everything of value that we owned. He wiped out checking, savings, our retirement funds. He even took both vehicles. He left me without a car to drive. And very soon, I started getting foreclosure notices on the house because he hadn't been paying the mortgage either. And we were on the verge of foreclosure. I did end up losing the home. And then, shortly after that, I got a letter from the Bible college where I was teaching. And they said, we're going to have to close our doors next semester. We don't have enough students and funds to hang on. And so, like many Bible colleges across our country, it closed and I lost my full-time position there. I started getting mean bullying texts and voicemails from Philip. And he had always been very domineering and very controlling. And he started saying, I will have complete control of the children. I will lie. I will say whatever it takes. But you mark my words. I will turn them against you. I will make it so they never want to have anything to do with you. Well, that weekend was 4th of July. And they were supposed to go visit him. And I let them go. But then they never came home. And they wouldn't answer their phones. And he wouldn't answer his phone. And I couldn't find them for months. He had left the state with them. And over and over, I've hired private investigators to try to track them down. But I'd be working with a different court system. It would take a long time. By the time I would try to get him served, he would move again. When I finally got to see my sons... He had kept his word. He had lied to them and brainwashed them so much that they hated me. They despised me. They said I was a hypocrite and a liar, that I had ruined their family, that they could never forgive me for what I did to dad. And they've cut me off. When they were both 18, I had no more recourse to even try to get a hold of them to see them. And that's still going on today. So if you ever think of me, pray for my kids to be saved because I can't reach them. From the time I had my bone marrow transplant to the time the boys left that night was 18 months. And in that time, I had lost my health, my husband, my job, my home, and then the children. 
I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't think I could face life anymore. And I went into such a deep clinical depression that I was literally lethargic. I just wanted to lay in bed in the dark and just cry and not quit crying. My dad came to me, and uh, he's a wonderful Christian pastor, and he said, Carolyn, don't give up. God still has a plan for your life. Come back to the family farm with me in Missouri. Let me take care of you until you can get on your feet. And we will walk the fields and we'll seek God's face and we'll find out what God has for you. But don't give up. I praise God for Christian dads, don't you? And so I went back home to the family farm, broken in every way. Dad started taking me to see a Christian psychologist and he immediately put me on heavy doses of antidepressants to try to bring me up to a level where I would feel like functioning again. I mean, I didn't want to eat, bathe, dress. I didn't want to do anything. About six months had went by, and I was making some progress, but still in a lot of pain. And I heard about a ladies' Christian conference that was coming near my town. And the Holy Spirit told me to go to that conference I didn't want to go. I didn't want to get dressed. I didn't know anybody at that church, but I know the voice of the Lord, and he was telling me to go. And so I grudgingly went. And there was a dynamic little lady evangelist there from South Korea named Sun. And Sun preached a powerful message that night on forgiveness. And at the end, she said, if any of you have problems and needs, come forward and let's pray about it. And so I went forward and a lot of ladies came forward and she started at one end of the row, laying hands on people and praying and giving words to some. And when she got to me, she laid her hand on my shoulder and then she went, oh, and stepped back. And I looked up at her, and she said, you are filled with sorrow and grief. You are carrying such pain and suffering. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, the Lord has given me a message for you tonight. He is saying a doctor won't fix this, and pills won't solve this. But he is saying, I, the Lord, will deliver you, my daughter, from depression. Amen. Hallelujah. And when she rang that out in authority over me, I just literally felt like a pitcher of warm water was pouring over me. And the joy of the Lord came rushing back into me. And I'm telling you, I was instantaneously delivered from that clinical depression right then and there. And I knew. Thank you. I knew that I could do ministry again, and all I wanted to do was reach those young women again. Well, I stayed after the service, and I talked some more with Son. And I said, Son, I want to be sure that I have forgiven Philip. How can I know that I've truly forgiven him? And she said, Unforgiveness is a poison, but prayer is a remedy. And she gave me Matthew 5, 44. 
if they'll put that up for me. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Those are the words of our Lord and Savior. She said, this verse is key. She said, Carolyn, start praying for him. I said, okay. And then she went further. She said, pray for God to bless him. I said, okay. Not as enthusiastically. She went further. She said, Carolyn, pray for him to receive God's greatest blessing. I said, what now? <laughs> I said, what would that even be? She said, Carolyn, he's went far from the Lord. His soul is in danger. And you need to pray for him to receive God's greatest blessing, which is salvation. And when you begin to sincerely pray for him, you won't have any doubt that you've forgiven him. And I found that was true. When I began to really pray for my persecutor, I was set free. I was healed. And I continue to walk in the peace and the joy of the Lord today in obeying the words of our Lord. We are set free. Charles Stanley said, unforgiveness is like holding on to the tail of a rattlesnake. You're going to get bitten. You're going to get poisoned. And it will eventually lead to your spiritual death. I believe that's true. Nancy Lee DeMoss said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else will die. Isn't that true? We must obey the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. It's incredible to think he had just been beaten and scourged and mocked. And now as his crucifixion is happening, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's incredible to think of that. And when we forgive... We are taking on the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a powerful thing. I never saw this more beautifully illustrated than when I was at an abortion clinic, if you can imagine. Myself and about 35 Christians had gathered and we were going to do a prayer vigil for hours just praying for God to shut that place down. And we had... It was in Mississippi. It was in the middle of July, so it was hot, hot, hot. When we got there, one of our Christian sisters said, hey, I'm, my car's right here. I'm going to leave it unlocked. I brought a cold jug of lemonade and some paper cups, and if anybody needs refreshment, just come over here and help yourself. And then we kind of spread ourselves out around the parking lot and just began to pray. We had not prayed very long until a van pulled up. Out of that van stepped 13 witches 
a coven of witches. They were wearing black robes. They had pentagrams hanging on gold chains around their chests, around their necks. And they walked in and among our group, and they began to pray too, loudly trying to drown us out. Only they weren't praying to God. They were praying to Lucifer. One of them was standing pretty close to me, and I could hear exactly what she was saying. She was saying things like, Oh, Father Lucifer, let the blood of these babies continue to flow. Let each death be as a sacrifice to you to give you more power and glory over this city. I mean, guys, it was disgusting. I was so angry. And neither of us were going to give up the field, so to speak. It, we were praying to God. They were praying to Lucifer. I kind of I've thought about Elijah on Mount Carmel. He's praying to God. The false prophets are praying to Baal. It was like that. It, we were in a heated battle. I don't know how long it would have went on. But all of a sudden, one of the witches just falls. Bam! She hit the pavement hard. And she was not moving. My first thought was, whoa. God has struck her dead. <laughs> and then <clears throat> my second thought was, wow, God has struck her dead. And, <laughs> and I hope he strikes them all dead and I'm going to be alive to tell everybody about it. I was rejoicing inside. I'll tell you the truth. Even the little song from the Wizard of Oz came to mind. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Do, 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 do. Ding dong, the wicked witches. Well, you get the picture. And then I see my Christian brother go running by me. And pretty soon, here he comes run walking back with a cup of cold lemonade. And I watch my brother kneel on that hot pavement and pick her up in his arms and speak gently to her, start giving her sips of cold lemonade. She wasn't dead. She had just passed out from the heat. And I don't think I ever saw anything so beautiful. I never saw that verse so beautifully come true in my sight what Jesus was talking about. My brother took on the image of Christ that day. And do you know what? He was able to give her a gospel track before the witches left. She accepted it because he had loved her. And I found out something else. I found out I couldn't be fruitful in ministry if I hung on to what was hurtful from my past. But I have learned that in the Lord's redeeming grace, when it's working full circle, he can use us to minister to others who are suffering. Would you put up, guys, First, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I often say when I'm training my new lady evangelist, sometimes the hardest things you've ever been through or the worst things you've ever done are what God may use the most in your future ministry. I'm seeing some nods. Some of you have a story like that, don't you? Your biggest mess can become an amazing message. Your hardest trial can become a beautiful testimony. And this has been true in my life. For, for one example, in working at the Hope Center, I'm the Bible teacher for our residents who were formerly trafficked women. They have suffered so greatly at the hands of men. And they, most of them accept Christ when they're at, in the program. So now they're new Christians. They're walking in that newness of life, trying to walk in holiness but they often struggle with that issue of forgiveness. And I believe that God has me there for a purpose. I believe that I am a better minister, a better comforter, because he's working to redeem my past and what I worked through. So in closing, when we forgive and pray for our persecutors, we are set free. When we forgive, we take on the image of Christ, and that's powerful. And when God's redeeming grace is working full circle in our lives, he can use us to comfort others and minister to others who are suffering. And brothers and sisters, I believe that is how we change our world. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it and share it online. Or jump on the website at graceassembly.org and click the giving link so that we can continue to spread the message of Jesus all around the world. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next week.